Alright, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and today we continue back on our 1995 timeline, looking at the November 6 episodes of Monday Night Raw and WCW Monday Nitro. Being in November, we are leading towards the WWF pay-per-view The Survivor Series and the WCW pay-per-view World War III. The shows themselves flipped around with the winner of the uh, Monday Night War ratings here, with Raw this week drawing a healthy 2.6 to Nitro's 2.0, so reversing the tide of last week where Nitro had got up on Raw. Um, Let's find out if the reversal continues with, last week I felt that Raw was a better show despite the lower rating. Let's see if Nitro with the lower rating can turn out the better show this week. Before we get into it, of course, a reminder as ever to find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and of course on the 4CR network, so 4CRonline.com or at 4C Radio on Twitter, and of course find us on iTunes, and if you are feeling generous, feel free to leave us a five-star review on iTunes and or the uh, 4CR version on iTunes as well. We always do love the reviews and the ratings, and they do help us get our word out to other people. Uh, When you see the episode links out as well, please feel free to continue retweeting and sharing them. The more people that come on board, the better. All that being said, let's get down to it. We have flipped the coin and Monday Night Raw's first cab off the rank tonight, so let's head over there. with a recap of last week, Ahmed Johnson slamming Yokozuna, and then strangely some sort of teaser clips of what's to come later in the show, proving that this one's definitely taped and not live, probably not the implication you want to make at the very start of your show when competing up against Nitro. I noticed they've changed the introduction video package and the song, so the song I just played for you there with the lyrics is gone, it's now a similar song but no lyrics at all, and some different highlights being shown as well, so I'll have to update that one in the timeline shortly. And as we said last week, Jerry the King Lawler will be in our tag team main event, so this means a commentary team for the evening of Vince McMahon and Doc Hendricks. This could go either way, let's see how they do. It, however, does get off to a slightly auspicious start when Doc Hendricks says that he has on good authority Jerry Lawler is in the back with Isaac Yankum having his teeth cleaned, and he'll be out here later on for Bret Hart to have his clock cleaned. So, a little bit of a cheesy start off. Let's see if they improve as we go along. We get a quick recap of the angle last week of Marty Jannetty and the British Bulldog um, as they make their entrances to open our show up with the Bulldog against Marty for a match I'm quite looking forward to. We have a bit of a quick, fast-paced sequence to start with lots of whips to the ropes, leapfrogs, duck-unders, etc., which ends with Marty pulling up and just poking the Bulldog in the eye for a little bit of a strange opening sequence. 
After that, they continue on with lots of running the ropes, avoiding each other, and when they come back to meet the second time, Marty nails a bulldog with a nice-looking enziguri, so a little bit better ending to the sequence second time of asking. Janetti attempts to take control of the arm of the bulldog in the early going, but the bulldog is just too powerful for him, lifting him up in a press slam position, but dropping him throat first against the top rope for a really cool-looking spot. The Bulldog starts to pound away on Marty Jannetty as we get an inset promo from Clarence Mason saying that he's um, basically con contacted Gorilla Monsoon and threatened legal action. And as a result of this, the Bulldog, who had been in their mind robbed of the title shot at Survivor Series, will now get the title shot in the December pay-per-view up against the winner of Diesel and Brett at the series. Bulldog then hits a favourite of mine, that huge delayed vertical suplex. Oh, what a sight to see. And then flexes those guns afterwards to show he is truly the most powerful man in the Fed. He then locks in a chin lock on Marty Jannetty, which doesn't last for too long. He hits him in the body slam and then puts him back down for another chin lock. Uh, we get a bit of a Marty chant, started by a few girls in the front row, but quickly picks up steam and the crowd get behind him. Marty fires away and gets in a crucifix pin for a two count, but as they get back up, the Bulldog nails him with a clothesline, which Marty does his patented flipping cell job for. Look very cool. Bulldog drops a leg and we're told we're going to a commercial break, and when we come back, he has a chin lock locked in on Marty Jannetty. They get out of this and they run the ropes and they nail each other with shoulder tackles. Uh, Bulldog doesn't stay too... Uh, down too long though he crawls over and covers marty for another two count before deciding to slap in another chin lock so this was getting a little bit repetitive at this point here um it's not quite hammerlock bad because he didn't hold on to it for too long but it's getting a little bit dull marty gets out of this one and goes for a sunset flip which bulldog sells with the classic aloha as per osw but doesn't go down just nails marty with a punch and then sits down in a pin for another two count this of course leads the bulldog to putting in another chin lock so that's number four as my dog makes his presence known on the podcast, so say hello to Charlie, everybody. And he's pretty much competing with those annoying birds outside. Maybe one day we'll just scrap the head-to-head -head wrestling battles and we'll do the um, Brisbane Australian Nature podcast. But um, until I get a bit of fanfare for that and someone starts me a Twitter handle, we might put that one on the back burner. When Marty's back on offense here, he charges a bulldog in the corner, but the bulldog ducks. Marty had gone sort of legs first and ends up hanging himself in the tree of woe. So the bulldog stomps away on him, and when he comes down out of the corner, slaps on yet another chin lock. So for those of you keeping score, this is chin lock number five for the match. Um... After that, we have Marty escaping, going to the second rope, and flipping over the Bulldog who had his back to him in sort of like a diamond cutter type move. Um, I'm sure on the SmackDown games there's a, there's a move here and there's a name for it, so someone feel free to correct me on Twitter. Um, drawing a blank here right now, though. He then gets up and hits a back elbow and a face buster on the Bulldog. Goes up top for his fist drop off the top rope, which was his finisher at this point. Uh, the Bulldog moves, but Marty lands on his feet. And as Bulldog gets up, he gets nailed with a DDT by Janetti for another two count. Bulldog here doesn't quite have the power to kick out, so he does just drape his leg on the ropes, which is enough to break up the pin anyway. This then brings the ending sequence where Marty whips the Bulldog into the corner, charges him shoulder first for the tackle. The Bulldog gets out of the way, sending Marty into the steel post in a classic wrestling spot, allowing the Bulldog to nail his running power slam for the 1-2 and the 3. Pretty much the clean victory there for the Bulldog. In what was a, a pretty decent opening contest, um, other than the fact that they had five chin locks in a nine-minute match, everything else was pretty good. I'm guessing they just had to keep regrouping and naming the next sequence of spots there. Um, certainly, if you've read Bret Hart's book, you know about the trouble he had with the Bulldog at SummerSlam and remembering the match layout. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case here as well. We then get a promo uh, somewhere in Washington with the fake Bill Clinton saying that he's going to be at the Survivor Series. So I guess they're running that one into the ground. Um, if you remember back a few episodes when we looked at WrestleMania 10, he was in the crowd with Ted DiBiase and my old favorite, Irwin. And then Doc Hendricks interviews Jim Cornette and the British Bulldog at ringside. Cornette talk, does most of the talking, talking about the title situation, the wild card match. Um, he references Syracuse, New York when talking about what's going to happen to Sean at the Survivor Series. And Bulldog finishes off the promo. And because it's the 90s and it's a British Bulldog, he makes sure to say in your roofs. Uh, favorite we've been documenting over and over again. And he really does say it this much. So it's opening my eyes to something new as well. And we see a recap video from Superstars on the Weekend where Bam Bam Bigelow has challenged Gold Dust. And that match will take place at the Survivor Series as well. So that should be interesting. I think we're nearing the end of the Bama's run, but um, he's very underrated in my opinion. So I look forward to seeing if he can get a better match out of Gold Dust than Marty Jannetty or Savio Vega have managed so far. We come back from commercial for our second match, and Henry O'Godwin is making his way to the ring to face jobber Terry Richards and something peaks my eye as they flash to the ring to introduce Terry Richards and I rewind back and holy fuck it's Rhino Rhino before he was Rhino and he's still thick but he's got like a 10 year old's face on that massive tree trunk body so my attention was peaked here nicely I was quite looking forward to this now Hog gets into the ring and we get a better look at Richards so we can confirm it definitely is Rhino but he's not quite man beast stage yet so we're going to refer to him as the boy beast here on the podcast at this stage and because it is Rhino he gets some offense early hitting some stomps and an Irish whip but he misses a corner splash on on Henry Godwin and then Hog rams his head into the buckle throws him over the bottom rope and goes to the apron to drop a leg on him and then sends him back in with an elbow. This, of course, takes us to the ending sequence where he does hit the slop drop, that reverse DDT, for the three count. So while the match was a squash and nothing major, it was a significant little milestone in history, seeing the first, I believe, the first Monday Night Raw match of Rhino. So there you go. After the match, Godwin's on the outside. Triple H sneaks up from behind and nails him with a pedigree, puts on some white gloves, and gets the slop. And yes, he slops Henry Godwin with his own slop. There you have it. We then go into a bit of a Survivor Series recap with Todd Pettengale, talking about The Undertaker returning, talking about how he'll be teaming with Henry Godwin, Savio Vega and Fatu. Poor Taker. Even with partners, you didn't get much to offer. And they'll be taking on Triple H, Isaac Yankum, Jerry Lawler and Mabel. So mark that down. I believe that might be the first pay-per-view battle of The Undertaker and Kane. Um, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. And then Todd throws to a promo with Paul Bearer and The Undertaker. Um, the highlight here being how gruesome is his face going to be after the Yokozuna Mabel assault that has put him out of action. The promo is in a very dark room. Paul Bearer does most of the talking. Um, and then Undertaker does speak at the end, but you never see his face. It's always blacked out and he's got his hair covering it. Paul Bearer does make some faces like he's disgusted by the face of The Undertaker, which is not the nicest way to help your friend through injury, but it is what it is. And Undertaker tells us that all the Royals team will rest in peace. We then go back to Todd for some more shilling of the Survivor Series before he throws to a Diesel promo who basically just says that he's going to beat Bret Hart and we're told that Bret Hart and Diesel will be face-to-face in the ring next week. We go to our next match, which is Kama up against Tony Roy, the gentleman whose hair I ripped to shreds on the last show. Um, and before the match starts, Barry Dodinsky is in the aisle, and this week he wants to sell us a bag of pogs. Um, for those of you not of my age, pogs were essentially little round discs about probably four centimeters in diameter, maybe, that you 
sort of stacked up and threw other pogs at. And yes, this bag did have two of the infamous slammers. For those of you that are old enough and remember pogs, you'll remember they were the bigger, shinier ones that we used to knock the stack over and win pogs, I guess. I didn't really collect them, though. I did have a bunch of the Space Jam ones when I was a kid, so there you have it. Oh, and for those of you wondering, a bag of a 1,000 with two slammers was going to be just $21 plus postage and handling, and he tells us that works out to be $0.02 cents per piece. After this bit of shilling, we get on the phone with Shawn Michaels. So he does talk to um, Vince throughout the entirety of this match. They pay not a jot of attention about Kummer in the ring, which is unfortunate. Um, Shawn talks to us about the title match situation, um, how he's not really fully recovered. He had a match at a house show on the weekend, and Vince says that he looked a little bit groggy after the match. So they're really selling the concussion angle here. Um, they chat through the whole match, come a win somehow. I didn't really pay much attention to that because they didn't. And we're told that we'll see next week Sid up against Razor Ramon with the 1-2-3 kid as the referee for the Intercontinental title. And the title can change hands on disqualification or countout. So really sort of hyping up the the possibility that the kid might turn heel without saying it here. So that's what everyone's got to be thinking at this stage, I would say. After that, we go to a commercial break and we come back and it's time for our main event, which will see Jerry the King Lawler and his personal dentist, Isaac Yankum DDS, a.k.a. Future Kane, taking on Brett the Hitman Hart and Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Sorry, Hakushi. Um, watch the entrances. You'll see how you can easily get those two confused. And he's bringing out the new age Jameson with him, Barry Horowitz. Um... Barry Horowitz gets the win and then is pushed as more of a moron than when he was a jobber. So check that out if you want to see how they can really make someone's career from nothing in Vince's terms. Match starts with DDS and Bret Hart in the ring anyway. It's a pretty quick start with Bret Hart on all the offense before tagging in Hakushi, who comes off the top rope with a headbutt to DDS. They're working over his arm here early. Puts him in the corner and nails the China-style handspring elbow. So there you have it. Um, Bret Hart comes back in. Um... Actually, sorry, no, just nails him without coming back in. I tell a lie. My notes aren't reading very clear there. Knocks him down in the face's corner, and Hakushi hits a Bronco Buster type move with just one single thrust, so not going all the way out there. Brett then does come back in, hit the inverted atomic drop, and a clothesline. Um, so far, Isaac Yankum's had zero offense in this match. Uh, he headbutts him in the midsection uh, by holding his legs, gets a two count, then hits a sunset flip for a two count. And Hakushi comes back in, goes for a second China-style handspring elbow, but as he's in the air, Isaac Yankum nails him with a clothesline to the back of the head and a pretty good counter. Hakushi immediately, though, clotheslines Isaac Yankum over the top rope afterwards, attempting a plancha, but Yankum catches him on the outside and rams him into the ring post. Comes in, hits him with a backbreaker, and tags in Jerry the King Lawler for his first action of the night, who comes in, immediately hits his finish as a pile driver, um, but then goes to show off to Bret Hart instead of covering him, before coming back and hitting a second pile driver and still deciding not to pin him. Idiot. In the end, he tags back in Isaac Yankin, who comes in and puts on a Boston Crab for a while, uh, before he gets back out, tagging in Lawler, who goes to come off the ropes with a punch, but 
Hakushi catches him with a throat thrust. Lawler and Hakushi both tag out, so Brett comes in and gets all over DDS with a bulldog. Um, Jerry Lawler gets back in the ring, but Bret Hart nails them both with a double noggin nogger, least favourite move of mine. Then goes to town on Isaac Yankin with a Russian leg sweep, a second rope elbow, and then puts him into the sharpshooter, but the referee's still trying to get the other competitors out of the ring. Jerry Lawler gets a, um, a plastic chair from ringside, not a metal folding chair, gets in the ring. Barry Horowitz comes in and makes a save before he can nail Brett, but in doing so, picks up the chair. When the referee turns around, he sees Horowitz with the chair in his hand in the ring and disqualifies the babyface team, giving Lawler and Isaac Yankum the win in the main event. The baby faces are a bit pissed off in the ring as we throw to an ad for the WWF World Tour de Force, and they name all the cities they're going to be appearing in, and my mind just goes to, why would you name a World Tour de Force that if all the countries you're going to be visiting are America? Um, not much of a World Tour for my money, but there you have it. We then are uh, given a rundown of what we're going to see next week. So obviously the Intercontinental title match, Razor and Sid, which I'm looking forward to. Henry Godwin will get Triple H in singles action, which is a good bit of storyline advancement there. Bret Hart and Diesel to face off. And Ahmed Johnson will be on the show for the first time properly. Uh, Doc Hendricks with his best line of the night here, where he says, the one, two, three kid shouldn't have any problem counting the three because it's his name. Well done, Doc. Well done. They then throw to a commercial break and say, don't go anywhere because we'll have a... Um, promo about next week when they come back and when they come back it's just a very quick 10 second clip about next week's matches so the show didn't seem to time out too well despite the fact that it was taped so a little bit strange there um but this was an easy watch i didn't have a lot of notes which says that i didn't pick too much apart on it it was a good quick show fast paced um solid action good names um this has been one of the better roars i've watched so far on the podcast um and it wasn't anything spectacular it was just there was no real shit on it so definitely worth checking out this one but that being said it's time we head over to the competition and see if nitro could do even better coming to us from Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, you'll notice I'm only giving the uh, places where the shows emanate from sometimes. I'm only doing that when they actually tell me here. Um, the research I've got for the ratings and things is great, but trying to chase down attendances and towns for some of this stuff has been a bit tedious. So if they don't make a point of it, I'm not. Apologies. Um, and we've got the usual commentary team of Eric Bischoff, Steve Mongo McMichael, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And Mongo has Peppy dressed as a clown, um, tells us that it's in honor of Jimmy Hart being a clown these days. We're told that the stipulation we talked about on the last Raw and Nitro show, the blue and the red locker room with the heels and faces, will be for the main event, and you'll get to vote on who faces who for the main event. So call in and register your vote, please. We then throw to the first match, and I write down that we've got some weird audio problems here, and then I realise it's actually not audio problems. That is the entrance music for the Cobra, and it's basically just tapping and sounds i'm guessing it's trying to be morse code it's fucking stupid so whoever thought of that take a bow um and he's coming out to face the giant um giant comes out he's announced for the match and he lifts up the ring announcer dave penzer and forces him to announce the fact that this is for the wcw title bischoff assures us that it's not the bell rings giant hits a choke slam one two three over just like that okay cool and uh, Mongo gets a good line off to start the night where he says, Heenan, you've not seen anything in this quick since your honeymoon. So fair fucks to Mongo there. That was a good one. 
We then go backstage where Gene Oakland and Tony Schiavone are in the heel and face locker rooms. Um, the faces are acting like fucking buffoons. And Jim Duggan here, perennial non-favorite of mine, takes out the dick move of the week pretty early. Um, where he's just, while the guys in front of him are talking, he's throwing his 2 by 4 into things to make noise behind them so you can't hear anyone else. And then as they progress through other people talking, he begins to walk in front of them, blocking the view to the camera so you can't hear or see what anyone is trying to do because Jim Duggan, the fucking moron, has to be the center of attention. 20 years past him being of any use to anyone, so there you have it. Uh, rant over. After that, we go to Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man sat with some hobos playing music at Venice Beach. Um, Hulk Hogan's still going on about how he's on the dark side and Macho has to join him on the dark side. And this basically entails him being dressed in black and saying, we're going to start a hit list, Macho. We're going to go after Luger, Sullivan, Jimmy Hart, and that stinky, nasty, wart-infested giant. Good God, Hogan, you are a buffoon. Macho Man, however, does bring it up a notch, saying he can go to the dark side, but he's not staying here at Venice Beach. He's going to go back to WCW and find out who's friend or foe. So good on you, March, for bringing some normality to this shit. Either way, it was pretty cheesy for the time period, but um, at least it was short, and we go back to the, the arena. We come back to the arena, and it's Kevin Sullivan up against the Renegade. Hell yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, the Renegade runs out a la the Ultimate Warrior, but he doesn't shake the ropes. He jumps straight in and nails four clotheslines on Kevin Sullivan, which was a staple of the Ultimate Warrior offense, let's face it. Um, and it was pretty cool. I always loved the Warrior, so there you go. Um, as all this is happening, I take a look at the Re Renegade, and I'm trying to find the best description of him compared to the Ultimate Warrior. And the best thing I can compare him to is one of Martin Dixon's woeful wrestling figures. He would be the cheap knockoff of the Warrior you would find at the Sunday markets. And if anyone finds that one, please send it to Martin to review for us because they're always a good read. Also can be found on 4CR, so head over there and have a look. Uh, Renegade continues his offense here with a power slam and then the China handspring elbow. So it must be the night for that. There was a memo go around in the wrestling world. Do a handspring elbow tonight. He does, however, then miss an avalanche in the corner. And Kevin Sullivan goes to the second rope for what I described as a kiddies version of the coup de gras for the one, two and the three beating the Renegade clean. After the match, Jimmy Hart gets in the ring with some water and a towel, and he throws the water in the Renegade's face, wipes the face paint off him while chewing him out, saying, you could have been the next Hulk Hogan, but you didn't listen, and you're not the Renegade, you're just plain old Rick, which he repeats into the camera as well. Interesting. So I wonder if anything will come out of that with the Renegade. Um, I know it ended tragically for him later on, but um, this had some potential here as an angle, so we'll see what comes of it. Gene's in the heel locker room, and we get some poor production as the lights go completely out, nobody knows why. While Flair's attempting to cut a promo, they do come back on even brighter than before, which was weird. Um, and he basically just cuts a promo on Sting before we throw to a commercial break. Um, and we are told that this week's Saturday Night Show will feature Arn Anderson up against Kurosawa, Disco Inferno releasing a song, I believe, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan, so glad not to be seeing that one. Don't rush to put it on the network, guys. But please do hurry up and get me some Thunder and some Primetime Wrestling and Wrestling Challenge um, so I can continue the head-to-head -head battles in different eras. When we come back from the commercial, we're told, and this was a surprise to me because obviously the milestones aren't on the network anymore, Chris Benoit up against Eddie Guerrero. So fuck yeah, let's do it. Um, Benoit comes out to some light booze and Eddie Guerrero has some pyro now. So the guys are starting to week by week increase their standing here in WCW, which is nice to watch. 
Um, Benoit gets all over Guerrero early with a nice elbow and a huge snap suplex, some chops, and then a back suplex before hitting him with a really high spine buster. It was almost like Guerrero was going up for a, a high monkey flip, and Benoit just spiked him down. It was cool to see. After doing that, he locks him into the lion tamer, which obviously wasn't the lion tamer at this stage, so interesting tidbit there. Um, before Eddie Guerrero comes out with an arm drag and a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker to get himself some offense in, an elbow, and then runs to do a dive with Benoit on the outside. Benoit sort of turns and heads up the aisle to avoid it, so Guerrero jumps on the top rope and comes over the post with a big flying body press. Back in the ring, Guerrero hits a brain buster before Benoit gets back on the offense and hits a superplex for a two-count. And then a massive powerbomb, like he splats him into the mat for a long two count, really good. Um, hits a short clothesline, but Eddie Guerrero surprises him with a roll-up, which only gets him a two, before surprising him with a schoolboy, which also gets him a two. Uh, Benoit doesn't take too kindly to this, and nails him with a German suplex and bridges for a two count. Um, Guerrero gets the shoulder up, so he rolls through, still holding, and when Guerrero tries to get out, Benoit hits him with a northern light suplex for a two count. They trade some really vicious punches before Guerrero ends up on the apron, and the referee's sort of trying to break them up, um, and Benoit goes to sort of bring Eddie over the top rope and in. Guerrero lands on him and Benoit gets his feet hooked under the bottom rope. Um, Guerrero gets a three count here with the referee not seeing the feet. So interesting angle. Hopefully that's going to continue into something more. And Heenan goes nuts about this on commentary, which is a little bit weird, talking about how Benoit was robbed. Um, good little short match and hopefully there's a lot more of this to come. We then get Sting cutting a promo in the babyface locker on Ric Flair. Before we get a commercial for a... The VHS of Fall Brawl, which we can rent in all good video stores, so I definitely remember those days. I would hate to hazard a guess how much money I've spent in video stores on wrestling tapes in my lifetime. Um, and Eric Bischoff tells us that the match has been announced at Sting versus Ric Flair in our main event. Uh, those of you that know the history will know it was the first Nitro main event and the last Nitro main event, so let's hope we've got something good in store here as well. In fact, before we throw to that match, let's just get a couple of little comments on um, Rick Flair and Sting and what it was like for those two to work together. Rick, I mean, you, you just, everybody knows this about you. I mean, the most durable of all, probably. I mean, plane crashes and wrestling, and somehow or another, you you end up better than everybody. I don't know how that works. How uh, does somebody survive a plane crash, you know? Yeah, well, let me tell you, working with guys like you made it easy because I'm telling you, I have. I would rather take a press slam from you, a suplex off the top rope, anything like that, than some of the stuff I had to do with Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Please give me Sting. I don't care. He can press. We had a routine down, and you know what? People could say how they did the same thing every night. The people never stopped, man. I mean, figure four, beat in your chest, turn it over. <laughs> Backside. Oh, I, I, I can't tell you how, how many times you know that the, in, in the later years when they would put us together and you'd say, "Okay, you know," you 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 talking about you ready for the press slam? You ready for this? And I go, "Rick, man, we gotta change it up. We gotta, <laughs> let's do something different." You go, "Steep, steep." <laughs> and you tell me the the story about you know they they come here to see me flip over the top rope. They come here to see you beat on your chest. They come. I go, okay. I forget who it was that you said you, you used to watch. And if you didn't get to see him do that flip over the top turnbuckle, you'd, you know, you feel like you didn't get your money's worth. 
Well, ask Conrad. He didn't. <laughs> he hated it. <laughs> Ray Stevens is who you're talking about. He told me that story a thousand Ray times. Ray Stevens. Yes. Yeah. The name escaped me. It was Ray Stevens. That's right. Yeah, when I was a kid, if he didn't do it, man, I was so damn mad. I went home and said, I may not watch wrestling again. <laughs> yeah, that's what you used to tell me. And, I, and so I go, all right, all right, let's do it again. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many times, think about it, if I run down, taking the flip, and Steamboat's chopped me running down the apron, right? Then I started doing it oh, with yeah. you, and we got just as big a pop with you. <laughs> yeah, I, except for mine was a clothesline. Not, yeah, the clothesline, yeah. but it didn't matter. Dumped yep, off to the floor. Right. And the thing about you, Steve, which really it was that's the same thing about Steamboat, I will say that. Shawn Michaels, Hunter, the same way. A lot of guys don't like it. Steve, let me whack him, Conrad. <laughs> I mean, he had that chest, you know, that, that perfectly carved out chest flat on top where and he let me whack him and that's all I needed because that was my offense a knee drop <laughs> falling on my face yeah, you, and chop <laughs> right and you and, and and you go around 30 days straight doing that <laughs> every night I mean you're you're black and blue going into the ring and by the end of the night you got trickles of blood coming out of your chest <laughs> yeah and that's if I didn't catch you with the blade I had on my finger <laughs> Oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, Austin called. Austin calls me Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. There you have it. Let's hope this one lives up to the prior billing of some of their earlier matches. Um, it's going to follow pretty much the same formula, but it always tends to work. Out first is the man called Sting. Then Flair comes down, and rightfully Sting's pissed off about the beatdowns. He wants to get, get him in the aisle way, but Flair grabs a large-chested young lady as protection. So um, I'm not going to make a joke about airbags, but I'll leave that up to the rest of you. Um, Sting does get a hold of him, however, pretty quickly, and they go to work hitting him with the press slam, the aforementioned press slam, the 10 punches in the corner, and Flair comes out, uh, gets char- gets sorry Irish whipped into the corner, does the Flair flip, and Sting, as he mentioned as well, nails him with the clothesline on the apron. So there you have it. Three of the, the spots they've already called there working a treat early because the crowd's really into this. We go to the outside, and Flair unleashes some of those chops onto Sting, who no-sells them. Um, Flair then suplexes Sting on the floor, um, goes to strut, but Sting's immediately popped up. But then he charges at Flair, who's on the barricade, goes for like a stinger splash. Flair gets out of the way, and Sting wipes himself out into the metal barricade. We go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we're told that we were lucky to be at a commercial break because Flair had kicked him in the balls while we were gone, so they didn't have to show that footage. Slayer Slayer flaps. Flair slaps on the figure four leg lock. That wasn't a tongue twister until I made it one. And in classic wrestling logic fashion, uses the ropes to make the, the hold far more devastating. Uh, Heenan and Mongo are getting into a bit of an argument and commentary. I'm not sure what started it, but Flair says, I'm talking about... Sorry, Flair. Oh, I'm having a shocker here. Heenan says, I'm talking about Flair. What are you, deaf? To which Mongo retorts back, I'm talking about Sting. What are you, dumb? Um, some good children, childish bickering going on there, so that was good enough for a chuckle out of me. Sting eventually gets out of the figure four by essentially rolling on his side to reverse the pressure, and Mongo shows his lack of wrestling fandom by saying, I've never seen that move counted that way. It's pretty much the only way to counter at Mongo unless you're the Undertaker and you can somehow get a hold of their throat. We go back to Flair um, punching and chopping at Sting who no-sells before hitting him with yet another press slam. He follows this one up with a hip toss and then a big drop kick as well. Flair however tries to buy himself some separation with a big eye poke and when he successfully hits this lets out a big woo to which then um, Heenan tells us that Flair's the dirtiest player in the game and he would cheat his mother at Monopoly. 
good to know. Bischoff tells us on commentary that there's some big news coming at the end of the show, so stay tuned to find out what that is. Uh, that's one of the staples of these early Nitros, is they managed to put a hook on to try and keep viewer interest through the show. So give Bischoff credit. That was something that uh, I guess we hadn't really seen at that time, trying to get people to stick around for the end. Um, Bischoff's really doing a good job at making people stay tuned to his program. Flair goes for the cheating pins with his legs on the ropes three different times, each garnering a two count. So if you were going to add them all up, he got a six and would have won twice but that's not how wrestling works. Flair then goes up top, and my note doesn't say what happened next, it just says, ha, ha, ha. You know what happens next when Flair goes up top. Um, on a side note, was there any bigger ironic pop in history than the one time Flair nailed an axe handle off the top rope? Um, I can't remember when it was, but it was definitely post-evolution days, and I got a huge pop out of it. Sting then begins to beat on Flair in the corner. He's attacking him pretty viciously, so the referee steps in. Um, Sting goes to carry the referee to the far corner to get him out of the way, and this allows... Ric Flair to put some brass knucks on his fist, which he nails Sting with, um, then does a bit of a strut and drops an elbow, thinking he's going to pick up the win, but Sting kicks out at two. Sting gets up, uh, no-sells some more punches, hits a press slam, puts Flair up top for a huge superplex, and then locks in the Scorpion Deathlock, to which Rick pretty quickly gives a verbal submission, earning Sting the win, but wait, he won't let go of the hold brings out a bunch of referees to try and talk him out of the hold. They can't do so. Out come Mr. JL and Eddie Guerrero in one boot and one flip-flop, who also can't talk Sting out of it. They're followed by a bunch more baby faces who can't talk him out of it. Uh, eventually do talk him out of it. They get him out of the ring, and then he goes straight back in the ring and reapplies the hold. But Lex Luger comes out. Um, in a weird bit, Eric Bischoff said, that's Luger coming out before anyone came out, and we never actually saw him on camera. So we'll, they sort of tried to cover for it later by saying officials had stopped him going to the ring. We don't know if he actually came out or not, or if it was a complete fuck up. But Lex does come down to the ring and gets right in Sting's face and whispers something to him, to which Sting lets go of the hold and leaves the ring sort of with Luger to the stunned am amazement of everyone around Bischoff and all the faces are shocked and want to know why Lex is leaving with Sting and vice versa. We wonder uh, what's going on there as we go to our final commercial break and when we come back Mean Gene's in the ring with Jimmy Hart, Kevin Sullivan and the Giant. Jimmy Hart tells us, um, well first he insults Hulk Hogan's video career a little bit, his movie career, saying that while Hogan was in Hollywood filming those um, bust flop straight to video releases, so ouch. Uh, but then props up the Hulkster's ego a little bit by saying, when Hulk Hogan was off doing all that charity work and helping all those sick kids, I was here taking care of business. And he tells us about the angle I've been waiting for here. I didn't realise it played out over the course of a few shows, but essentially Jimmy Hart had put a clause into the title match contract stating that Hogan could lose the belt on disqualification. And since Hogan did lose the belt on DQ, that would now make the Giant the champion. However, this brings out a WCW lawyer, um, I didn't catch his name, sorry, who tells us that while that was binding um, due to the dubious nature of the disqualification, WCW has decided to hold up the title belt and it will be awarded to the winner of the three-ring battle royal at World War III. Cannot wait. I'm super pumped for that. I've never seen one of those, so um, I know I've I'm pretty blatantly a WWF guy and always was, but going back and watching this WCW stuff is hugely enjoyable, so I'm really looking forward to that, and some of the cheesiest stuff that people cringe about is the stuff I'm most excited to watch, so oh, I don't know, I'm strange, sorry. Gene's a little bit too um, 
a bit too clever for my liking in WCW as well. I've probably already mentioned it, but the way he just talks down to all the heels and gets away with it, I just wish someone would lamp him one and shut him the fuck up, but it never happens. So, you know, he's Gene Oakland to me is Stephanie McMahon as a male announcer before Stephanie McMahon was what she's derided for on TV these days. We go to the commentators to throw for the end of the show, and Mongo's trying to get a point out about something, but he's really stumbling over his words, and Hina just goes, shut up, Mongo, and I pop huge for that. Told that next week we'll see Meng take on the Macho Man. Not looking forward to that, really. Um, Johnny B. Bad defend his TV title against Eddie Guerrero. I am looking forward to that. That could be a sleeper for the week. And Sting take on Dean Malenko. That's also got some potential, though I fear they're going to have Sting show a dark side and run rough shit over Dean Malenko, but I await to be proven wrong. Overall, though, another solid show. It's made this week's choice a really tough one because both Raw and Nitro have held my interest the entire way through. But we have to pick a winner, so let's head over there and do that now. Production value narrowly went to the WWF here. They both had a couple of blunders, the WCW main ones being the lights going out during the Ric Flair promo and the inability to direct the faces for their promos in the locker room. I'm looking at you, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. WWF's really biggest problem for me during the night was the weird ending, going to an ad break and coming back just to sort of highlight next week. But the blunders go two to one in WCW's favor, meaning WWF just narrowly takes production value for me on this show, where it was pretty close and the it wasn't too bad, really, either way. Both shows definitely looking pretty good at this stage. Crowd Heat, I'm narrowly going to WCW. Both crowds were pretty good. I can't fault either of them. But the WCW guys um, seemed more level through the whole show into everything, probably because they got more action and less squash matches. And the squash they did get was a giant killing someone in three seconds, so not a... um. Tony Roy or Terry Richards, a.k.a. the Boy Beast, um, but a star in killing someone straight away and over and done with. Um, and they were really into the main event of Flair and Sting. So I'm going to give WCW the nod in the crowd. Storyline advancement was another close one, but I'm going to go with WCW because they had the bigger advancement in their main event picture. Um, Bret Hart was involved in a side issue, and Diesel cut a very quick promo. Um, and the Bulldog, of course, we find out is going to get the title match the month after this, but they didn't really have any interaction here. That's all going to come next week. Um, so let's see if WWF can turn that into a victory in this category then. Character development, I'm going to go this one a tie. Um, sorry, characters appearing, I'm going to go a tie. Um, we had no Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, or Diesel match as well as no Hulk Hogan, Macho Man in action, um, no Lex Luger match either. Um, but we did get some involvement from them all, and we did have the Bulldog and Bret Hart both in matches in the WWF, and Sting and Flair in the main event for WCW. They did a good job of it mixing around their star power here, but neither show really put everyone into the spotlight, so a tie there, pretty even result. Meaning match quality is going to be the biggest factor for the win here this week, and as far as match quality goes, I've got to go to WCW. Um, the squash match was effective, putting the Giant over as a, as a dominant force, Guerrero and Benoit was never going to be bad, was it? It could be longer, but hey, it was pretty good. Um, the Bulldog and Marty for WWF was pretty good, but as I said, five chin locks, whereas Guerrero and Benoit was all action. And the main events, the tag match wasn't bad for Raw. Um, it did enough to keep my interest and build during the show, but Flair and Sting is a classic. Um, you're not going to beat Flair and Sting with a tag team combination of Isaac Yankum and Jerry Lawler and a team being managed by Barry Horowitz. Now, are you? So 
WCW, this is sort of now, as I said at the start of the show, they lost the ratings battle on this night, but they put on the better show. So it's been a really interesting sort of twist and turn here between Raw and Nitro for me. Um, Certainly didn't have the benefit of watching these shows as they aired in Australia. Um, Only really caught the pay-per-views on VHS. So I'm loving A, going back and watching them, and B, determining who really did hold the upper hand as far as show quality went back in the day. Um, that will do it for the shows for today. This episode will probably drop about four or five days after recording. I've actually got another one in the can to come in the next day or two. Um, trying to get my recording up to date before going away for this football tournament. Um, so when you hear them, please do pass on your feedback on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, as always, try and leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you have not done yet. And if you haven't still wish to do so, get your wife's phone and make her leave us one too. We all know that I did it, so why not? Assuming, of course, you are male. Uh, don't have a breakdown on male-female listeners, and I've never had a female interact with the show to let us know that she's listening. So if you are out there, please do get in touch. And also a big shout-out to the fine people of Denver, Colorado, because they are now our highest-listening city. Um, America and the United Kingdom are still neck and neck for who's going to be the, the top supporting country. Um, so if you're in either of those countries and you want to win the battle, please keep listening and spreading the word. But shout-out to the good folks at Denver, where we've had over 50 plays now. So I'm assuming it's not just one person. And if it is just one person and you've listened to me 50 times, fair play to you, because I haven't listened to myself 50 times yet. Anywho, the rambling's over. It's time to throw out, so I will talk to you all again soon. Thank you as always. I still express you, I don't smoke weed or sex Cause it's known to give a brother brain damage And brain damage on the mic don't manage nothing But making a sucker in you equal Don't be another sequel
but after the show, they go looking for the dope man. Or they ban my group from the radio here in WA and say, hell no. But you know it ain't all about wealth, as long as you make a note to spread the Strike if you just 